interesting. It was 2013. How many people are excited? And I guess I read the paper. Everyone's taxes went up. I'm sorry. Is that Social Security? You got to pay me in about 15 years. It's all right. Don't know what that looks like. Um, I'm retiree already. I retired once, so I'm okay. All right. Um, but really, it's 2013. Always when we go into a new season, how many make resolutions? I'm going to be a better. I'm going to lose more. I'm going to treat my kids right. I'm going to give my son and daughter the car. Oh, we're not there yet. Okay, just checking. Oh, well, I'm sorry, kids. I'm trying to help you out. I'm trying to help you out. I'm going to buy a car for my kid. No. No. All right. I'm going to dance better. For the Lord. Ah, now outside in the club. Oh, I'm hitting something. I'm going to club. Okay, how about this? I'm going to club less. Look at all you guys. Where were you all at last night? Okay, never mind. Okay, don't put this on the tape. I'm sorry. We're fine. Okay, anyway. But what we're talking about fresh start and what I'm talking about um, today, ourselves. And some of the things I talked about, our team members, how we're able to come together and evaluate. And we have our successes and we have our failures. But we don't recognize, we don't stand and build a tent on our failures. And what I want to share today about uh, our lives as, as humans and how we are emotional beings, and that's okay. And it comes to a fresh start with ourselves. When we talked about a little bit about that in communion, that God has given us all a fresh start. But a lot of times we don't accept a fresh start because our emotions keep us from receiving good things from God. And a fresh start starts out maybe for an hour, an hour and a half until there's a, there's a, uh, there's a person that I don't like, but he's in the Bible. But he's only in the Bible and part of it, and I'll tell you where he's at. Name Satan, who wants to keep us living in our past, rehearsing our shame, rehearsing our regret. And what I want to do is today, as a fresh start, we're going to start from the book, of, uh, the book of Philippians chapter 3, go to verse 13. And we'll have it on the screen. If you have your Bibles, take your Bibles out. And then we're going to go to Genesis chapter 3 and start in the beginning of the, the fall of man and what's come with that and what we all deal with because that very incident back in chapter 3. This is Paul speaking. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. Now, this is Paul the Apostle Paul, who had a lot, if you know his history, to forget. He was part of, he was a Pharisee. He, when we know about in the book of Acts, when Stephen, young Stephen was rocked and killed, um, Paul was part of that. He held the jackets of those who were stoning Stephen. Paul had did a lot of things persecuting Christians. So if anybody would have the reason to forget, that was Paul. And not be caught up by his past. But one thing, when you look at the word forget there, it's not saying I physically forget what my past was about, it means this. I'm no longer influenced or affected by it. Whatever I did in the past, yes, I did it. But Christ has redeemed me. He was part of murder. He was part of uh, persecuting Christians. He was also proud of his past because he had a great education. But he even said, if you look in Philippians 3, he counseled all laws for the supremacy of knowing Christ. So he was proud of some things, but he didn't rest on those things. He, wasn't some, he was ashamed of some other things, but he didn't let that stop his movement 
in the gospel. And he also wasn't affected by this. He knew he was no longer defined by his past. And this is what we all have to learn. We don't attach what we have done to who we are. We don't attach to what we have done to who we are. Let me talk to the church now. I've been in this morning. You're not defined by your past. As T.D. Jakes used to say, yeah, I might have did those things, <laughs> but I'm not those things. And I'm all about 12-step programs. Don't get me wrong on that. But I don't want to be labeled the rest of my life that's rich to alcoholic. That's rich to redeemed. Who dealt with that? But that is not my identity. What happens, we call each other by what we think their label is. And Christ doesn't call us by labels. He calls us by souls. So you're no longer defined by your past. And do not try to attach what you have done to who you are. Let's go, and I'll tell you why this is, this is hard for all of us, because it all started in the very beginning, when the fall of man came. Let's go to Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 13. When you have a fresh start, you've got to start from the beginning and see what, exactly why we're dealing with some things that it was created a long time ago. Things took place in our lives. Verse 1 says this. Now, the serpent was more crafty than the other beasts in the field that the Lord and God had made. He said to the women, did God actually say you shall eat, shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the women said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the tree in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit in the tree of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will surely Surely you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the women saw, woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took up the fruit and ate. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together, and they made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But, God, but the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman who you gave me to be with, to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree and I ate it. I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. When you look at this whole passage, realize something. That Satan deceived the first family. I love the Bible because sometimes we struggle and think Satan's some big, large being that we have, he's even with God and he's not. If you look at the first two chapters, the first two verses of Genesis, Satan is not mentioned. 
Then you go to the back of the book, and you go to the last two um, chapters of uh, Revelation. He's not mentioned either. So he's the only part of my dash. See, the reason why he deals with your past, because he looks at the future, he don't exist there. He stops in chapter 20. He wasn't, I didn't start with him, and by golly, I'm definitely not going to end with him. But when in the middle of that dash, we're dealing with this. Now, a lot of us are very spiritually sensitive, and a lot of times we get things off fighting the devil. And our greatest, our greatest, let me put it this way, our greatest, make sure I get the nice, threat is not an attack. It's deception. That's what we deal with, deception. Everything was innocence in the garden before chapter 3. When you're innocent, you don't even recognize evil. Innocence left in chapter 3. Adam and Eve were innocent, and all they were in the presence of God and pleasing God. Chapter 3 came, and sin came into the world, which brought their consciousness up, which we all deal with the conscience. But it's not about the attack, because if it was about the attack, she wouldn't have seen some ugly snake. Now, if I see a rattlesnake, brother ain't going to be around. I don't even like mice. She said, I don't like mice. She can take a mouse, and I can't. You know, I had a mouse in the house, and I went to Lowe's. I built him an obstacle course, a couple traps, and some sticky. I'm going to kill that brother. And then when he died, I said, honey, I'm the man of God. Go get him. <laughs> and snakes, I'm not doing snakes. So something had to be very receptive. Because you'll recognize a serpent you don't like. So he sets himself up as an angel of light that something's good is really bad. And that's what it is. It's deception. Now, you all can recognize something ugly. It's attack. But you don't recognize something that looks, oh, that looks pretty good. Let me go down that road. It's deception, people. Verses 1 through 6 is about being deceived. How are they deceived? First thing that happens when we're deceived, Satan targets our mind to make you question the truthfulness of God's word and the goodness of God's heart. God gave them everything prior to that, but all of a sudden now God became suspect in their lives. He knows the word, so he twisted the word, so the God the giver became God to withholder. What is he holding back? What do you mean I can be like him? Why is he holding it back? All the trees in the garden, have a great time. Just the one. Do not go near it. Don't even look at it. But he brought it up in, did God really say that? He does it to us all the time. Did he say don't? You know, and when you try to witness God, people, Jesus, the people, that's the first thing that happens. They think you're going to take something away from them. I'm so glad God took alcohol away from me. It's not good for me. I thought it was fun. But you know what happens the next morning? It isn't so fun. So deception is our number one thing. Now, the response was some of the things that happened. They ate. Their eyes were open. That means conscience came. And God gave us a great conscience. But it starts searing them. Searing them. 
And three things started happening. I caught doing life in the, in the rearview mirror. Something came up in their lives. Shame. Guilt. So I feeling guilty. Where guilt wasn't there before. Some of us walk in here with shame and guilt. It's feeling like I can't understand. When you're guilty, you want, even you can come to church and still feel guilty. Because it's the fact of having committed an offense of a crime, and you go to church and you try to do all the religious stuff, but you still don't remove the guilt. That he keeps putting it and putting it and putting it and putting it in your head, in your mind. How about shame? Disgrace. The other one is regret. Feeling sorrow, remorse for some act or some disappointment in your life. You regret life. And you're trying to go down the road. And these three things, what I call, say you're looking forward, you start looking in behind you. And you start looking at what I call the rearview mirror of your life. And, you know, I look at it this way. When you're going down the road, it's like having a rope tied around you, trying to go somewhere. Come here, sir. My man here. Do this. Do me a favor. Tie this around you real quick. You know, some places in the world, brother, come out with a rope, you're in trouble. <laughs> but don't worry about it. I ain't one of those. All right? Like, you secondhand. Wow. Yeah. You know, anyway. Can't go forward. You ever, how about, okay, you can stop. <laughs> Strong brother, man. You ever driving, and you look in the rearview mirror, and what does it say on your right-hand side? Objects look what? Closer. Keep just turn around. They appear closer. Guilt, shame at you trying to go forward. I need three guys. Give me three guys. <laughs> Hold this guy back. Give me three guys. I didn't practice this earlier, so it's okay. <laughs> when I go and go preaching classes, they say you're supposed to practice this stuff, man. Just wing it. Just yeah, I'm gonna wing it. But my professor comes and I'm in trouble because I didn't practice this. Anyway, he's looking in the rearview mirror trying to go down the road. It appears closer, trying to, and there's a perfect, great road of salvation and love and grace and the city and the campuses and all those things. But he checks the rearview mirror, and every time he checks it, shame comes closer. Guilt starts to come closer. Regret is hanging around him. So he doesn't see anywhere, anywhere. And wherever he's looking, he starts steering that. And what happens is he comes to a stop. And what he has done, because those things are real, becomes who he is. So when you try to worship God, all you call yourself is, I'm, I'm so regret. I can't do anything. There's no way. Guilty. I can't, I can't achieve anything. I fell back there. Now, failure is okay, but it's not a permanent place. Failure is not a grave. It's a stepping stone to success. But that becomes his ID. So when you get someone, hey, you can do great things for God. You can do awesome things. No, I can't, man. I got regret. I got shame. I'm inadequate. And you know what happens is, you, I hate them backseat drivers. The devil says, yeah. <laughs> Let me remind you. This, this, this. And then he won't just come personally into your mind. He'll bring other people to remind you of what you did in the past. Our family. Remember when you did this? Remember when you did that? And you're like, Shh, I'm, 
Can't do anything. Let me run and hide. Versus him looking up and looking out. And then when he looks up and looks out through God's word, and he realizes God's goodness, he sees the past melts away. And when we talk about fresh start, thank you, sirs. Thank you. That's what we're talking about. But we know them anchors that keep you down. Yeah, you might have done those things, but you're not those things. And when I talk about don't let that become your ID, the reason why you might come from those things because when you do some great things for God, God gets all the credit. You can't let those things hold you down. Same thing with Paul. He murdered a guy. Moses murdered a person. Paul was in part of a murder. He didn't murder, actually did. He, was, he played in it, part in it. Paul was very educated. Don't let all those things block you for what God wants to do. So this happened in the garden. They were moving forward, doing all great things, because the idea was not to kick them out of the garden. The idea was to spread the garden all around the world. And what happens is we question He's good at it. We question God's truth, what he says, what we read. He's speaking to us. And then we question his goodness. He's got to behold. He put me in this mess. So when it comes to worshiping God, you're like, first, I don't even feel like it. I feel worthless. Don't even know why I feel worthless. Then you'll go through 25 deliverances and still feel worthless. Then you become angry, and anger turn inward, turns into depression. You're trying to figure out what is going on. Because you're doubting God's goodness and his love and his design for you. So you can't encounter a fresh start. You try to go into a new year or a new season with an old luggage. That will tie you down the harder you agree with him. How are we doing? So what happened is, you don't attach who you are to what you have done. So when we're in the garden here, four things, our responses to them when we're dealing with that. This is their first response. They try to bury it. In verse 7, they try to bury it. They put fig leaves on. They try to bury their sin, hoping that no one will see it. All of a sudden, their consciousness became real. Who told you you were naked? Their conscience didn't have to worry about before there was innocence. Innocence does not identify with evil. Now they know the goodness between good and evil. And they know they disobeyed God and he was good at it. So you try to bury it. In today's life, we try to do that, bury it with substance abuse. We try to bury it with prescription drugs. We try to bury it with alcohol. We try to bury it. But you got to wake up, it's still there. It doesn't go anywhere. Second thing, after trying to bury it, they beat themselves up. How many are hard on themselves? <laughs> you make a mistake, and you take that little thing and make it a molehill. And that's us. We're very self-critiquing. It's a good thing, but it can be a bad thing. They beat themselves up so badly. God was coming down in the garden. What happened? Go to verses 9 and 10 if you can for me, though. I'll read them right here. But the Lord God called the man and said, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked and hid myself. Guilty 
And never, you know where the guilt is? Fear is along with it. That's why you know when your kids mess up, you can't find them. And you already know they broke it. But you ask the question that you already know the answer to. And you're hoping that nice angels will give you what? The truth. But what are they blaming on? You for putting me in this house and giving me birth. Or if they have a sister and a brother, he did it. But they beat themselves up. And what happens, guys, we beat ourselves up walking with God when he already redeemed us. Now, if you don't know Jesus, you're going to completely beat yourself up all the time because you're the end of yourself. But he beat themselves up and you can come to church. You can try to be in a place, great place of worship. And Pastor uh, Sammy is sweating and carrying. Come on, let's go. And you're beating yourself up. I'm not worthy. I'm not good enough. I can't feel God. I don't know what's wrong. What is wrong with me? I made a mistake that was covered over 2,000 years ago by the death of Jesus. That's the truth. But I relive the lie and relive it, rehearse it, build a monument about it. And Lord, I hope you don't meet a good saint that want to come remind you of it. And that's what it's about. Beat ourselves up. Then verse 13, 12 and 13. The last one, well, they're the last ones because they're in the downward spiral. You blame others. It's a woman you gave me, God. First you created her, then you gave it to her. It's all your fault. And she said, well, the serpent did it. Isn't it amazing how easy it is to blame outside things on inside turmoil? Easy to blame outside stuff for inside turmoil. Isn't it amazing how easy that is? My dad shouldn't have did it. My father. You know, hey, when you're seven years old, you have no choice. When you're 27, you, have, you can, take some you can take some, make some changes in your life. Or the man, someone kept me down. No one can keep you down unless you want to be kept down. We blame other people for inside turmoil. You're hurting inside, so it's someone else's fault. And they don't even know you. But they even, you even, they even smell like someone I know that hurt me. And that's why it's hard to build relationships in church. Because you're blaming people for your own inside issues. They take responsibility for them. I mean, we all got to do that. You can't blame every, you can't go around blaming everybody. You're six, you got to blame, you can't say anything. You're 16, 18, and time to go off. Hey. You just make a choice. I'm not going to be that way. Is it easy? No. Is it necessary? Yes. Or you'll repeat the same habitual sin that's in your life, in your family's life. And we all become a family of complainers, a, compla a, a family of underachievers. And I'm glad when God brought us out of, out of that, we become a family to bring change. But we can't blame that. Last thing is, Richard, uh, we all need to do when we're in this, because I'm not downgrading any of this, because I'm talking to my, everybody here. We all have to slip into this. We all slip into this one time or another. The fourth one is build on it. Build on it. The rear view, build on it. I like when we drive to California and we get through Arizona, and we're like, man, we're building up. We're going to be there in a little while. 
and we're doing the speed limit. Really, we are. <laughs> right, honey? Except when I'm coming home, I keep getting stopped. I'm not driving. She's not driving. We build on it. There's a young man named Joseph. Had a dream at 17 years old. And, you know, his father didn't set him up for success. His father favored him over his 10 brothers. What a crazy family. But, they, hey, they're the patriarchs. You know, the Bible's still normal people like us. And he had a dream. And he's a little boisterous about the dream. His brother says, I'll take care of them. We'll throw them in a pit. First, we'll kill them. Then one guy said, no, don't kill them, man. Let's just sell them off. From the time he mentioned his dream to the time he became what God had called him to be was 13 years. He was 17. He was 30 when he came, in, came into Pharaoh's side. And his brothers, who did all this, walked around with guilt and shame and distress all those years of what they did to their brother because they couldn't shake the conscience. And they knew their father Jacob was going to die. Jacob died in, in Genesis chapter 50. And they're like, oh, man, Joseph is like, they thought, must have thought it was like, I love the greatest one of the movies, The Godfathers, because I'm from New York. When dad died, they were worried about Michael taking the whole family out. He said, uh-oh, dad's gone. Joseph's going to call a note. We're dead. But you know one thing about Joseph? He was a man of God that served wherever he was. He didn't look in the rearview mirror because he's one up in prison. I mean, part of his house got wrong there. Prison, faced temptation. He kept going forward. And this is what he said. When you're a forward thinker, and we all have to deal with this on a daily basis, when you're talking about a fresh start, when you're on a daily basis, you got to realize everything that happens to you, because we love that song in Romans 8, 28, all things work together for those, you know? And we hate those all things things. We do. We like the good things. Genesis 50 says, 50, 20 says this. This is Joseph speaking to them to relieve them of their guilt and their pain and their regret. As for you, you meant, you meant evil against me. And they did. But I love the word but. Comma, but. God meant it for good to bring about that many people should be kept alive as they were are today. Joseph was used to save a nation in the middle of famine. He had to go through all that to be put in the right place at the right time. One thing when you look at from Genesis chapter 37 to chapter 50, there's one statement that I always remember so I can beat the rope. Now beat the mirror. He said, the Lord God was with Joseph. The Lord, the Lord God is with you. Wherever you are right now in your walk, the Lord God is with you. Regret doesn't own you. Shame doesn't own you. The Lord God owns you. It's not over. You're just in the journey. When we talk about a fresh start, there might be some evil things that came against you, but God will turn them for his purpose. It's really a training ground. When you look at your life, you say, you know, you were disrespected. You were this, you were this, you and this. It's like, yeah, I don't have to fight. Why do I have to fight? 
because God fights all my battles. All I got to do is keep walking, and my outlook will determine my outcome. And the devil's not, he's going to try to get in and say, you're inadequate, you're not smart enough, la-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Remember I told you three weeks ago, you just got to be brutal. Shut up. Because last time I checked, first two chapters I didn't start with you, and the last two chapters I'm definitely not going to be with you. His job is to keep you looking in the rearview mirror. His job is to make you make this walk into religion, not a relationship. His job is to make you um, hate leaning up in the morning. Hate your life. Hate this very existence. Those who don't know Jesus, yes, they will. For us who have God who is with us, no, we should not. How are we doing today? You're not what they said about you. God didn't save a what. He saved a who. Every eye closed. Every head bowed.